Alrighty, praise God, we are live, Monday night live. Previously on the A-Team, I don't know, whatever you want to call this thing. We're having some hot stream and we were rudely cut off. So on Saturday we were uh, chatting uh, quite a few things about tribal, uh, tribal resource wars. You know, and uh, it was a banging stream. We're having some really good good things going on, and uh, we were just saying how uh, infrastructure, uh, civil civil infrastructure, civilizational infrastructure, uh, is not a it's not a, a a huge policy thing for Marxists for non uh, for non white. Uh, that's not true. I think the Asians are big. The Asians are big on infrastructure. But, but in Africa, for instance, uh, and what you see in America, there is a managed decline, right? A, a tactical incompetency uh, of the infrastructural grid. You know, so you look at power outages, you look at, at roads crumbling, you look at railways uh, being decommissioned and, and whatnot. You look at uh, the police uh, being, uh, you know, just going corrupt or, or just incompetent. Uh, or just stop, they stop prosecuting certain crimes. Uh, you know, it's still illegal to murder someone. We're just not going to go and arrest you. That's a managed decline tactic. And so we were talking, you know, in South Africa and, and the lockdown, right? The lockdown of businesses and the, and the economy is a managed decline tactic. So we were talking uh, with regards to, to South Africa with, uh, you know, this whole thing of, the top 1,000 to 10,000 political cadres, they love the Western life. You know, they, they're all having Mercedes and wearing suits and dining out at restaurants and having huge mansions and living the high life. They love it. Uh, but they don't, they, they know that their voters, their voting bloc, which is the, you know, the everyday um, huge uh, population of Africans, they don't, they've lived without infrastructure for their whole lives. And so they don't need to provide infrastructure going forward, right? Infrastructure is a tool uh, of the middle class. Infrastructure is a lifestyle of the middle class. And who are the middle class? It's predominantly whites uh, in South Africa, whites, Indians. Um, And so you get this thing of, okay, how do we, how do we take the middle class wealth? How do we cripple the middle class? How do we punish the middle class, punish the whites, get them out of here is to, is to crumble the infrastructure because whites can't live without infrastructure who can live without infrastructure, our whole voting base who has been living without infrastructure from time recorded. An accountant friend of mine was telling, you know, he's on the board of some tribal, you know, so in South Africa, there's like, oh, I don't know, a good 20 to 30 tribal trusts right which are tribal chieftains of the different tribes who get a stipend from the government and now by stipend we mean in the millions uh, of rands every year from taxpayer money they also have tribal lands so these are lands that they have the deed the the property rights to all of their people all of their tribal population don't have property rights they don't have a deed a title deed that says this is my hut this is my grazing pasture all of that land belongs to the tribal chieftain by government. The government enforces this. The government backs this, pays for this. And, uh, and so <laughs> this accountant friend of mine was, a, uh, was the accountant or his, his accounting firm gave service uh, to one of these tribal trusts. And so at the annual meeting, um, you know, they would, let's say the meeting started at 10 o'clock. Uh, the, the, the tribal elders, you know, the 10, 20 tribal elders would all arrive on time, all crammed in a little minibus taxi, like all 20 of them in a 10 seater minibus taxi would arrive and would now, you know, poor, you know, poorly dressed, malnourished, you know, just standard rural tribal Africans. And they would arrive at this meeting and, and, you know, the accountant is there, uh, the, the meetings waiting and they would wait three, four hours. Right. And eventually, you know, two o'clock here would come this, um, this convoy of Mercedes Benzes and like just flashy cars. 
And here would come the, the tribal chieftain dressed in a suit, you know, 20 bodyguards all dressed in suits and their, and their sweet BMWs and Mercedes, you know, and our little liberal white frame would be like, don't you care about the inequality? You know, aren't these tribal elders, these 10 tribal elders just outraged that this king is getting millions of rands a year and they have nothing and they live in a mud hut. Like, don't they care? You know, and the liberal in us is like inequality, you know, <laughs> and uh, man, you know, here comes this chief just swaggering into the room, doesn't even acknowledge anyone. Just like, yep, I'm here. I've arrived. Proceed with the meeting. And, and the tribal elders are like, this is our king. We love our king. He's amazing. Look how wealthy our king is. Look how respectable our king is. Like our king has brought us great honor. And that's how they think. You know, there's this, this tribal chieftain logic that if your chief is glamorous and glorious and wealthy, then you have great honor and pride as being part of his tribe. They don't think in this Marxist-Leninist class uh, way. The politicians think that way. And the politicians push, you know, they keep the blacks degenerate. They keep the blacks poor in America too. They keep them poor and degenerate to stir them up against white people, not against their tribal chiefs, not against the 10,000 politicians who are living the high life, against the middle-class white dude who has, you know, a home in the suburbs <laughs> and a business. You know, that's who's wronging you and all this stuff, you know, and, and I had a, a plan which I submitted. And of course it, it goes nowhere because I'm the wrong color to submit plans. But, you know, you could see the greatest wealth transfer uh, in, in the South African empire by simply, you know, in the whole state is owned by the, the, the trust of the Zulu king. Uh, you know, and there's like, I don't know, 10, 15 million Zulus, tribesmen. And, um, and none of them have a title deed. No, well, none of them who live in the tribal, you know, there's many middle-class and upper-class blacks who have title deeds and live and, and live their own Western, proto-Western life. But to the, the millions of tribal rural blacks or the, the tribal rural blacks who have now migrated to the slums around the cities to try and find work, you know, the, the unemployment rate in South Africa is over 50%. So they just accumulate in the slums around, uh, around the cities. And again, that's political. You know, a lot of a lot of the politicians move these pop, these rural populaces around to predominantly white areas uh, to to offset the votes in those areas and just create a slum, drop them off. Fend. So, so my plan is, you know, if if you had to give a title deed to every single homesteader in the rural areas on the tribal trust lands, you would create wealth overnight. A title deed, a property deed would create wealth overnight for 90% of the black population in South Africa. Do they want to do it? No, because the elites are like, no, 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 whoa, whoa. Like, I own 30% of this. Like it's mine. I own the BMWs. You know, it's the white guys who are evil. Take the white guy's land. Take the Afrikaners farms. You know, they're the, the bad ones. They're the ones who are withholding from you. It's like an Afrikaner, you know, with a big ass farm. If you take an Afrikaner, I, I've got a few friends, a few Afrikaners with some big ass farms. They own 0.0001% of Natel, <laughs> you know, but they're the bad guy. W Laser, welcome, brother. So anyway, you know, it's just this, this thing for us of, of the liberal mindset. You know, we, we as white people, we put on uh, all of the other tribes this pathological altruism of like, we want what's good for you guys at our expense. And so today I just really wanted to tell you you know, a different way of looking at the Good Samaritan story. So many people point to that story in the Bible of like, you know, the Good Samaritan. You know, why are the West taking millions of immigrants every year? It's the Good Samaritan. It's what Jesus would have done. And so it's really important to, to dive into that story of what was the Good Samaritan story. The Samaritan was the white guy, right? The Samaritan was the hated minority, the hated uh, class, race, racial group. Um, and the Jews were the, uh, the predominant cultural power brokers, you know. So that would be like the liberal coalition at the moment, right? That would be the Jews, the, the, the religious, pharisaical 
woke Marxists. They would be the Jews, right? <clears throat> and the story goes that a woke, a woke liberal gets beaten up in Detroit uh, by by certain by by white supremacists. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, it's hilarious. But he gets beaten up, and so all the liberals that come past him are like, oh, oh, you know, like oh, oh. And so there comes a Samaritan, and and I, I love this analogy from old uh, from eighth century woodchipper on on Twitter. You go follow him if you haven't. But he's like <laughs> a white boy in an, a Ford F one fifty drives up and sees the little liberal bleeding out on the street, and puts him onto his F one fifty. You know, it's just a great analogy there. But it's like this hated minority was like, okay, I'm going to show you compassion. I know you hate me. I know we don't live together. I know there's racial animosity, religious animosity, ideological animosity. But I'm, as a as a man of conscience, I'm going to help you. Now he doesn't take that Jew back to his home, put him in his own home, give him an inheritance with his own kids, let him sleep with his wife. Like, alrighty, you're just part of us now. Like, come call me bad. <laughs> you know, the Jew like gets he he. he gets healed of all of his stuff and, you know, th- you know, thank you, Mr. Samaritan for saving my life. Now you owe me reparations and you're a terrible bastard, by the way. And, <laughs> you know, all of this stuff. But what actually happens is the Samaritan takes the Jew. He has compassion upon him and takes him to a Jewish inn, right? A Jewish organization, a Jewish hospital, a Jewish charity, a Jewish NGO. And he says to the guy, he's like, hey, I'll pay for his costs. You take him, you take care of him. He's one of yours. That's the story that no one tells. You know, when we talk about refugees and immigration and asylum and stuff, you know, what the heck are we doing taking millions of Somalis across the world and dumping them in Minnesota? It's like, hello, refugee, the, the political thing of refugeeing is the next safe, next safe state, state, next safe state. Kenya, uh, you know, like, is that not a safe place? You know, like, what's the other one right next to Ethiopia? Is that not a safe state? Oh, we got to, we got to take them home. You know, it's like, come on, chaps, you know, th- this absolute crazy liberal frame that we're living in. So anyway, I really wanted to, to hit on this today. Blaine, these slums were used to white guilt us in school. Yeah. You know, and, and total, there were no slums uh, until, you know, cause everyone like beats up on the homeland vibe of, of apartheid and they're like, Oh, it was Nazis. You know, it's like, no, no, no. Like if you have a primarily, rural stone age civilization, you know, pastor, uh, pastoral age civilization by taking them to the city and dumping them in a city, you are effectively making them, uh, uh, incapable of survival. You know, I've, I've spoken before of a survival economy, a slavery economy and a, a significance economy, right? Survival economy is a wonderful place to be. If you have your own land, you know, if you can homestead, if you can grow your own food, deal with your own waste, you know, because what are the issues of the survival economy? It's um, it's uh, health and safety, right? Health, you know, sanitation, food, waste, uh, sanitation, uh, and then safety, right? Shelter of my head and ability to defend myself and, and, you know, law and order, if you want to call it that. And so all of that survival economy, you know, the, the majority of Africa are a survival civilization. You know, they, they, they cannot survive uh, in a city urban environment without NGOs and, and charities and uh, governmental assistance. Now that's nothing against them. That's not saying that they're bad or that's not a moral judgment. It's just being honest about where they are at in their societal uh, lifestyles. You know, and oh, are you saying it's incapable of black people to become heart surgeons? No, it's like, of course they can. I'm saying that you don't you don't leap forward a pastoral civilization into an urban, you know, you don't just take 10 million Somalis and drop them off in Minneapolis. Like that's a it's an injustice all around to everybody. You know? So with when it comes to to all these slums in South Africa, what happened was the homelands, these terrible Nazi homelands. We're a way of keeping a pastoral civilization, a pastoral society on land. You know, uh, they, they, they had a homestead lifestyle, grow your own food, 
you know, kind of, and obviously the mind's messed that up, big corporate, you know, again, in every freaking civilization, you're going to have your global homo corporate elites, you know, and in South Africa, the mind, the mind system totally destroyed, uh, you know, black, it was black, basically indentured labor, uh, you know, just like you should have just left them to their pastoral tribal life and given them a Lesotho or a Swaziland where they have sovereignty over their tribe and they can do what they want. It's their land. It's their king. It's their tribal trust, you know, just. So anyway, that's a whole big aside. But yes, these slums were created by, by taking people off the land where they were perfectly fine to survive. Now they're trying to, the cities are predominant, predominantly a slavery lifestyle, right? In the West, cities are a slavery lifestyle. You go to the city, you get yourself in debt through college and uh, renting and all the, the trappings of, of a usurious commodity lifestyle, consumer lifestyle. And now you have to work your wage job to pay that off. That's the design of the city, right? It's a slave lifestyle. So that's why in Western countries, so many guys like Four Hour Work Week and uh, uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad and and Dave Ramsey. It's all an attempt to get guys out of the slavery lifestyle of debt and consumerism into the significance lifestyle of I have more than enough. I can now work my purpose. Or you know the total opposite, which is the back to the land movement and the small the tiny house guys and the permaculture homestead guys. Of okay, we're not going to make it out into significance life. We're going to drop out of the slavery economy of the cities into a rural survival lifestyle where I have space, I have food, I have family, I have time and I'm happy. You know, those are the two options uh, that are, are given every tribe. You know, it's just how well do you adapt to the middle layer of slavery in the cities? You know, and this is biblical. You look at Joseph in, in Egypt, you know, predominantly uh, agricultural, pastoral, uh, tribal civilization, right? The Hebrews and, and the Egyptians. And when the when the uh, the uh, famine comes, what happens? The people will migrate to the to the cities because the survival lifestyle has either been taken from them or they've been they've been forced out of the survival lifestyle through slavery or war uh, into these city situations, begging for food, begging to be indentured. You know, the uh, Joseph uh, ends up. He ends up enslaving the whole uh, nation over a period of seven years. You know, first they give them all their money for food. Then they give them all their property for food. And then finally they indenture themselves for food. And that's that plays out over 6,000 years to today where we have these cities which are primarily slavery economies. Now, we don't have slavery anymore, which is, I mean, we do with the prisons and the schools. Though That's slavery, you know, straight up. Um, but... We have the pseudo slavery because you're getting a check that you think you're free. But so many people don't know how to escape the slavery lifestyle, either into significance or into survival. And it's like both options are, are real if you will take the, the actions to, to do either. All of that to say, <laughs> slums are what happens when you take people out of a survival economy, dump them in the slavery economy, and they don't know how to to enter it, or there is no opportunity for them to enter it. There is no, you know, opportunity for them to, to receive slavery employment and then work their way out either through, you know, Dave Ramsey or, or business building entrepreneurship or through contentment and, and back to the land stuff. And, and here, and we have this huge thing now where you throw the lockdowns in is to try and destroy this middle class where you have this tiny elite and then a huge survival class who don't have private property and don't have food sovereignty, health sovereignty, safety sovereignty, and everybody is now just in a slum uh, waiting for the elites to look after them and, and throw them bread and circuses. Afro-NRX, Somalis already have some tension with Kenyan and Ethiopian natives. Yeah, you know, and, and again, it's like, you know, everyone just thinks that it's only the white people who are, are evil and, and racist and, you know, tribalistic, or whatever. It's like, oh no, my friend, welcome to Africa. You know, it's, it's crazy the amount of, of tension that goes on between tribes and, you know, how much they just kill it. Like killing each other is nothing to them. You know, it's a, it's a, a rough ride, you know, just seeing the absolute uh, violence uh, that goes on between tribes in South Africa and, and the rest of Africa. One of the, the big things that I've really been on a journey of is honesty uh, reality around the topics of race, sex, and money. You know, I feel like that's all of us young guys. That's all we want is some pastor 
some media guy, some governor, you know, some corporate employer, whatever domain you're in and involved in, to just be like, yeah, this is what's going on. Here's the reality on race. Here's the reality on, on sex. Here's the reality on money. And you're like, really? I didn't know that. Thank you for giving me a clear map, right? If you don't, if you don't know sexual reality, you'll be like, oh, why does the why does the dick always <laughs> why does the uh, why does the bad boy always get the girl? I'm just being a nice guy. Like that'll kill you if no one ever sits you down and says, here's the reality on sex, right? On on money, right? Well, why can't I just put everything on the credit card? What's so bad about 18% leasing my vehicle? And it's like, that will kill you if someone doesn't sit you down and say, here's the reality on money. You know, or conversely, money's evil. You know, it's not good for us to have money. It's like, that will kill you unless someone sits you down and says, here's the reality on money. Likewise with race, it's like, we're all the same. All the people are the same as us. And then you walk through Johannesburg or you walk through Detroit and you get shot because and that like no one sat you down and said, here's the reality on race. Same with if you're running, if you're running a freaking election, you're like demographics, you know, like democracy will kill you unless someone sits you down and says, here's how democracy works. Here's how races vote. Demographic voting blocks are real, you know, demographic lifestyles, uh, different ethnic lifestyles are real. Different ethnic responses to societal pressures are real. Um, you know, and all of this stuff, it either creates enormous anger or enormous fear, you know, outrage or fold. And so many guys are petrified, especially in the Christian space, of talking about race, sex, and money, honestly. And again, this is not to cast judgment. It's not to cast like, oh, it's a moral, it's a bloody, that's evil. You know, it's like not, you don't even have to cast a judgment just to talk about it and just be like, hey guys, you know, why is there a gun problem in America? It's like, no, there's not a gun problem in America. There's a gun problem amongst a certain demographic in America. <gasps> you know, it's like, no guys, like that's not a, that's not a moral judgment. That's a, that's a reality is in front of us. Here's the, the data. Here's the statistics. Now that we are honest about it, now we can talk, you know, are we going to talk policy? If you're in government, if you're in, in authority over stuff, like now you can talk about that. And if you're not like, okay, now we can talk about demographic distancing. You know, if you want your, your family to be safe, you don't want to be in a city um, where there's going to be a high chance of being shot, robbed, hijacked, uh, murdered, raped. You know, and it's like, that is not, that's not hateful. That's not disrespectful. It's, it's wise. You understand the, the key comes in when liberals come and be like, oh, that's, you know, because they clown world, right? Clown world is the emperor has no clothes of like, you can't say that because that's incorrect. That's politically incorrect. A certain tribe doesn't have a gun problem. America has a gun problem. You know, a certain tribe doesn't have a, a crime problem, a fatherless problem. America has a crime problem. It's like, that's not true. You know, it's like saying, I love that, that analogy of like 90% of prison inmates are, it's like saying prison inmates, uh, humans have a prison inmate problem. It's like, no, 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 that's not true. 90% of human prisoners are male. And it's like, well, you see, that's because males commit 90% of the crimes. And it's like, yeah, now that's reality. Now we're getting to reality. And then if you say, well, of those 90% of those men, you know, 90% are a certain tribe. And it's like, oh, 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 like, oh, because you're getting to a place where like you are starting to poke liberal idols and liberal lies that require those lies to be true in order for society to do the policies that they are doing. And so that's where like the church gets really, really, uh, afraid because they're under a liberal frame. I really wanted to, to hit on this, you know, if you're afraid of saying something, it's because the person whose frame or the institution whose frame you're under punishes that thing, right? So for instance, if someone had to come uh, to my house, you know, and start spouting off, uh, you know, you should eat seed oils, you should eat sugar uh, candy, and it's good for you, and you should drink soy, he has soy, all this stuff. And I'm going to be like, dude, if you ever come here again, 
I will literally, there's going to be hell to pay. Now he knows, or you, a better way would, would be this. If he worked for me and he's like, dude, if you bring this up again, I will fire you. He now knows that he's under my frame because he's in my institution. And he's like, oh crap, that's off limits in this institution because there's going to be punishment or reprisal or shame or ejection. So now you see with a, b- a bunch of, of Christians, if we're afraid to talk about a certain topic, it's because we're under that institution's punishment or reprisal or rejection or shame system. So now, you know, we have to see the liberals, the clowns as anti-God and anti-patriarch, right? They're anti-God because God imposes order. God imposes discipline. God imposes uh, accountability back to his ways, right? God created the earth with his operating system. And if you don't operate to his operating system, then you are dishonoring the creator. You're dishonoring God. Same within, you know, fathers and husbands, right? And men who bear the sword. And, you know, whatever authority patriarchal system is in place, it's like, here's the operating system. Liberals don't want that. They don't want rules. They don't want limitations. They don't want reality. They want whatever their heart desires. They want whatever their their tastes uh, desire. Uh, Limby, welcome. <clears throat> this chaps thing needs to become a t-shirt. Yes. It's rather, rather British of us, isn't it, eh, chaps? What? All this to say, if you're afraid of talking about race, just ask yourself, who am I afraid is going to punish me? If you're afraid of talking about money, afraid of talking about sex, who am I afraid is going to punish me? That's a great question to ask. And then you want to ask, do I want to be under their frame? Do I want to be under the frame of CNN, of uh, Prager University? Do I want to be under the frame of Ben Shapiro? Do I want to be under the frame of... Washington Post. You know, it's like, no, I don't. And so therefore, I'm not going to be under their frame. I want to be under the Bible's frame. So we have to go back to now, how does the Bible address race, sex, and money? And so this is the biggest theme for us as Christians. We we can't seem to get through the meme. You know, here's the liberal meme. You're either a total 100% ally who has no boundaries because having boundaries is racist. Or you're a neo-Nazi, skin and lampshades, absolute bastard who deserves to die. Uh, you know, those are the two, those are your two positions, right? And obviously the church is like, well, we don't want to be that, so we'll be this. No boundaries, no honesty, no uh, calling cert- certain groups to repentance. So here's what the Bible talks about, about race and sex and money. You know, so, so the Bible is inherently tribalistic. You know, God made the nations. The nations will bow. The nations will seek out God within the boundaries that he has set for them. You know, you look at this this crazy um, kind of uh, avoidance of the nations because nationalism is evil. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like God made the nation. So we are to honor and respect. So here's the, 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 the crazy other end of that is like, you know, this thing of like me loving my wife is hating every other woman. It's like, that is insane. That's an insane straw man. And it's like me loving my nation is hating every other nation. Like that's an insane straw man. Likewise, a lot of liberal Christians would be like, well, actually loving your wife is idolatry. It's like, no, the Bible literally commands me to love my wife. It's like loving your nation is idolatry. It's like, no, no, no. the Bible literally commands me to love my neighbor as myself. And it's like, Who's my neighbor before this crazy globalism, before this crazy multicultural idol that has forced diversity? Your neighbor was your tribe, your clan, your people that you lived around. You know, and and the 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 Samaritan was like, well, of course there was multiculturalism. The Samaritan and the Jew. Exactly. The Samaritan doesn't take the wounded Jew back to Samaria. He takes them back to a Jewish helper. Like it's like, guys, when we can respect nations, when we can respect what God has made, like we can actually start to love other cultures and stuff because we're like, man, I love my culture. Therefore, I'm not ashamed. Therefore, I'm not aggrieved. And therefore, I can respect and like other people's cultures. I love touring other people's nations. And like, you know, everyone loves Japanese culture. Everyone loves German culture. Everyone loves the freaking Israelis. Everyone loves the, you know, whatever little the Mexicans, the name any other ethnicity, 
except, you know, America or, or England. And it's like, guys, like we can get on well once we understand that nations are God's creation and that we are to, it's just like marriage. You know, I love my wife. I can still respect other people's wives. I love my family. I can still respect other people's family. I love my nation. I can still respect other people's nation. And in fact, when we respect each other, we like each other better. You know, I'm not going over to some other guy's house and being like, listen, yeah, you bastard. This house is four degrees too warm. And he's like, get out of my house. <laughs> you know, it's like common sense. You know, but if I went over and I was like, hey, man, just I, I really like being your neighbor. I like what you've done with your lawn. Uh, you know, if you ever need any help, I'm happy to help out, but I'm just so thankful that you're taking care of your crap. And I just want to let you know that I really respect that. And, you know, if you ever have an open garden, I'd love to come and see your trees and maybe swap seeds and, and like maybe our, our children can play, you know, it's like, that's the respectful neighbors, you know, nations were to be respectful neighbors. Alrighty. 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 Rob, the survival lifestyle or subsistence living severely limits mobility while your enemy retains mobility for maneuvering. If you're going to be the agrarian farmer, you better be building your tribe, militia, guild, or brotherhood to develop the ability to project power. Yeah, full on. You know, I agree with you completely there. I think there's this there's this aversion to, to money power, to asset power uh, by many, uh, either through incompetence. So, you know, it's like, oh man, I'm not good in the economic realm, so you avoid it. Or through bad, you know, bad experiences, bad theology, bad whatever, you know, or just unwillingness to to do the things. And it's like, I think there is this thing of like, yeah, we totally need to aim for the significance economy, uh, you know, and we can live simultaneously in survival and uh, significance. Full on. Alrighty. So when whenever someone tries to straw man you on the racial topic, a very useful uh, tool for me to kind of just get my own mind straight on this. Apply it to two different frameworks. Apply it to you and your wife. You know, so if someone's saying like, you know, you owe me reparations, you bloody owe me reparations for how, you know, how your people have treated my people. And it's like, okay, I owe you reparations for how somehow my ancestors treated your ancestor's wife it's like yeah yeah so it's like okay 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 so so your great 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 grandfather failed to protect his wife and because my great 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 grandfather may have abused your grandfather great 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 grandfather's wife i now owe you reparations yes it's like you're crazy and i'm gonna make a counter demand i'm gonna make a demand that you repent of your racial grievance I'm going to make a demand that you repent of your hatred for this host nation that you should be respecting and uh, honoring. And, and if you don't repent, I'm going to demand that you repatriate and go back to where you do have faith for. Because victimhood is not going to fly here. Grievance is, is a sin. You know, it's going, to, it's going to destroy not only you, but the people that you have grievance for. And then the second metric, so, so the wife, you know, the, this whole thing of like any, any guys who are, are – pushing tribal racial grievance. It's like, are you looking after your own wife or are you asking me to look after your wife? So it's like, you are such a victim that you can't look after your own wife. You're asking me to look after your wife and you're insulting me while doing it. It's like, that's not going to fly. The second metric to use is to apply anything they say to you, uh, to, to Japanese people in Japan or to Israelis in Israel. You know, the boomers love this because they love Israel. And so it's like, you know, do the Palestinians owe, do the Israelis owe the Palestinians reparations? You know, and every boomer liberal will be like, no, like don't touch my Zionists. You know, and same with the Japanese. It's like, do, do the uh, Koreans, do the Japanese owe the Koreans reparations? And it's like, no, no one cares. The Koreans are crushing, you know, and they still might hate each other, the Koreans and the Japanese, but like, they're crushing. They're doing their own thing. Like, I don't think they need to. I was like, oh, so the Koreans are not victims. It's like, yeah, the Koreans are not victims. Like, okay. So the Japanese were bombed and absolutely destroyed and then were enslaved by an empire. Uh, do we owe them reparations? No, no, no. We don't owe the Japanese bloody reparations. Oh, we don't? No, no, no. Oh, because the Japanese aren't victims? 
yeah, they're not victims. It's like, okay. So, you know, we need to apply these metrics because here's the, the biggest deal, right? Is the imputation of, here's the, here's the deal. You know, I, I was thinking about this the other day. A, a great analogy for, for reparation, racial stuff is current day economic stuff, right? So the Fortune 500 companies are a very small tribal elite. You know, I, I, I don't know, what is it? Like, it's the same kind of thing of like 13% of the population own 50% of, of the fortune 500 uh, companies or, you know, whatever the, the fun statistic is there, but it's, it's a far disproportionate amount of the fortune 500 are a single racial ethnic group. And I was thinking, you know, back to slavery. If, if you look back at, at slavery in, in America, in the British empire, owning a slave was, was a very costly, uh, endeavor it was a very costly business venture and so and it was a very concentrated business venture you know the the amount of people who just owned one slave uh compared to the amount of people who owned more than let's say 10 slaves it was hugely skewed to scale right it's the same as property today you know the amount of people who own uh one investment property compared to the amount of people who own 10 or more investment properties uh, it's it's a the scale was with uh, you know the the elite corporatists, and so to then say that all you know the ninety percent of middle class white people were beneficiaries of slavery, it's like no, they actually uh, they they didn't get labor opportunities because people didn't need white labor, so that was a huge disadvantage. You know, in South Africa, where where cheap black labor uh, is is the norm, poor white guys don't get a foot in the door. Poor white guys can't find work, you know? And so there's this illusion that in a slave society, every white person is a middle-class person or, or, or elite or higher. And it's like, no, like it doesn't happen like that. Like there's a lot of poor whites who don't get a foot in the door because uh, of either cheap, you know, cheap Mexican labor, cheap slave, slave African labor back then, or cheap African labor in, in Africa right now. And it's like, you're destroying your own community. You know, if you're a white businessman, you're destroying your own community because your poor guys who would come and get a job with you and work their way up and, and, and be able to build some wealth, you're now offshoring it to some Mexicans who are going to send their money back remittances or to some slaves who are never going to build wealth and are never going to add to the community. You know, it's this crazy thing like to think that all these whites loved slavery. You know, there was even a thing where like white guys were pressed into slave gang duty where they had to go and hunt down runaway slaves. And it's like, I don't even own slaves. Why am, why am I doing this? You know? And I, I'm not against, I'm not against, uh, you know, this is not a diatribe against, Oh, Confederate, the Confederates were evil. It's like, no, no, no. Like I, I think the Confederates were well, well within their rights to, uh, to have slavery. I'm just saying, just like the Roman empire, slavery destroys nations because you are, it's this economic bubble. You're fulfilling the slavery requirement with actual slaves rather than your poor who could migrate through that. So, you know, it's just a very interesting thing to think on this whole crap, crazy thing. But anyway, to bring it back to the fortune 500 elite, you know, it's like saying, it's like saying 200 years from now that my, you know, my great, great, great grandchild, 200 years from now, is going to be like, my dad was oppressed by Jeff Bezos. My dad, well, I wouldn't say by Jeff Bezos. He would say by the, the corporate Americans, by the, the central bank Americans. My grandpa was oppressed. It's like, I am. I am oppressed, you know, by the Federal Reserve. I am oppressed by corporatist uh, uh, dynamics going on, you know. But I, I'm not a victim. I, I, don't know. I don't identify as a victim. I'm blessed. I'm freaking blessed. I'm so blessed that I don't identify as a, as a victim. I'm not a, I don't have grievances. Now I have, I have boundaries. You know, I don't, I don't shop with Amazon. I don't give my money to Walmart. I don't, uh, I don't, you know, it's this whole thing of like, I'm not a victim to them, but I'm all, I also have boundaries like, Oh, Christian forgiveness and then carry on being uh, abused. You know, excuse me. I'm also not going to be a victim of you. And so, you know, 200 years from now, little Scott Edward Jr., 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 uh, Scott Edward VII, like, oh, the corporate Americans, 
America was built on my great grandfather. It's like, no, no, you know, it's like, come on, kid, like let go of your grievances and, and you're in the most wonderful place on earth and you're blessed, you know? And it's like, Joseph was blessed as a slave and that's offensive to us. God never freed him from slavery. He just became a blessed slave, you know? And so it's like, man, if you find yourself abused and oppressed, it's like, well, I'm going to be blessed while I'm abused and oppressed. Like I don't, I'm not aggrieved because I'm building. I'm not aggrieved because I have a vision. I'm not aggrieved because I'm going somewhere that is not dependent on Jeff Bezos cutting me some slack. You know, it's not, it's not dependent on, you know, the corporate, uh, the, the, the oligarchs uh, being favorable to me. It's like, I don't care if they are or not the Amish, the Amish are crushing. And you know what happened to the Amish? They were thrown, they were put in potato bags and thrown in rivers. Like that's why they left to come to America and start crushing because people kept dunking them in rivers. It's like, you know, the Amish were the most oppressed people group around. You know, the 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 pilgrims, the, the English pilgrims, they had to flee England to, to Holland because they were being thrown, put in paper bags and thrown in rivers. And it's like, chaps, we're not victims. We just go start somewhere else. We're not victims. We just go build our own institutions. We're not victims. We have our own mission. We we exclude the abusers or we we leave and, and move away from the abusers and we go do our own thing. And it's like, I think that's the big thing for me with, with this whole race talk, man. It's like, for me, like with white guys, it's like, if a white guy is acting like a victim to all this stuff, it's like, repent. You are blessed, brother. Like you are forgiven. You're forgiven of all your racial shame and guilt. And oh, punish me. It's like, you're forgiven. Jesus took the punishment, brother. His blood has washed you clean. And if you repent and make him your Lord, like you are now going to go crush. And will life be hard? Yes, life will be hard, but it'll be hard and blessed, you know? And it's, it's the same for blacks. Like you need to preach, like Christian pastors out there, you need to preach to blacks that they need to repent of ra racial grievance. They need to repent of their crazy, broken family uh, lifestyles. You know, they need to repent of their victimhood. Victimhood is a sin. And so, you know, it's the same with, with the corporate oligarch Americans. You know, we need to be preaching to them to repent of their sin of greed and their sin of power and, and uh, not power, but like uh, desire to dominate and control others and cause conflict and stuff. Because that's what you have to understand with, with the blacks, man. Like, it's the whole thing of don't hate the normies. Like, I don't hate blacks. I, in South Africa, I don't hate the blacks. And a lot of guys are like, how can you not hate the blacks? They murder the farmers. They BLM'd the streets. They're destroying America. They've destroyed Africa. And it's like, <clears throat> it's the whole thing of clowns, chaps, clowns and normies. Majority of, of blacks are just normies. Majority of whites are just normies. They'll follow whoever has institutional power over them. Who has institutional power over the blacks in Africa? It's the Marxist, Pan-Africanist, Leninists who hate white people. So it's like, that's what the blacks are going to do. In America, who has institutional power over the blacks? It's the anti-God, anti-patriarchal, anti-family liberals. They have total institutional power over the black population. And so what are they going to do? They're going to follow that agenda. You know, so it's like, once you understand that and can speak about that openly and honestly with your people, it's like, okay, I'm not angry anymore. <sighs> I'm not angry anymore. I'm not, it's like, okay, it is what it is. Avoid, put up boundaries, you know, preach them to repentance if you're in the ministry domain. Uh, but I'm going to now live my life in peace because I know how to create peace. I know how to hold boundaries, you know, and it's like, it's so peaceful when you can talk reality, you know, and then guys are like, oh, but Scott, you bloody racist. Does that mean no black people can come to your church? Can come to, it's like, no, no, no that's fine. Like black guys can come to my church, but I'm going to be honest with them. You know, it's like, hey, chaps, we don't do this, this, and this. That is very high likelihood and statistically high in your group. You know, I say this all the time. Like, man, I've had great relationships with black guys that I've coached rugby because I, I don't treat them like children. I don't treat them like little agentless things. It's like, no, you're a man. I'm going to talk to you like a man. So it's like avoid this negative stereotypes of your tribe. And pursue the positive stereotypes of your tribe. Pursue the open, wide open, freaking, if you're a black guy in America, dress well. Speak well. To the moon. 
You do those two things to the moon. Like no one will stop you from crashing your goals. You know, there's a great guy on Twitter called like King, King someone or other. He's a young black guy who's teaching young black guys to dress well, speak well, and have trade skills to the freaking moon. You know, and it's like, it's that easy if you'll be honest, if you'll be honest with each other. So it's like, oh, Scott, you won't have black people in your church. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to be honest with black guys in my church. And if they want to stick around and and be like, yeah, that's fine. You be honest with me. I'll be honest with you. This is great. Like, I, can I can I laugh at your crazy white things? I was like, yeah. You know, it's that, it's that hilarious meme, but it's like racist people can get along because they're honest. <laughs> you know, and it's like, and, and that's a meme. Racist just means white person who won't accept blame for, for what he doesn't have authority to fix. You know, that's the thing. I don't have authority to fix the black community. I don't have authority to fix the black family. I don't have authority to set policy for the black community. So therefore, I take no blame. I take no responsibility for they are not under my institutional power. Under my, But if they can't, you know, if I led a church, which... You know, I'm not in the ministry domain. It's not my desire. But if I led a church, which means I have institutional power and a black guy came and was like, hey, man, I want to be a member of your church. Like, what you doing? I'm like, great. You are now under my authority. Do you accept that? Yes, I accept that. Okay, now he can blame me for stuff. And I'm like, sure, if you blame me, I'm going to, I'm going to take authority over some stuff. You know, and I'm going to sort some crap out. And it's like, yeah, that's fine. Sort some crap out. It's like, okay, great. Then you're an NPC in my institution, you know? We, we have to have these honest conversations. All righty, Rob. Uh, European Americans were the first people in history to outlaw slavery. Yeah, you know, the British Empire freaking bankrupted itself to, to end slavery. Uh, and, and then the Americans bankrupted their, their next two generations, you know, of the amount of sons who were, were killed in the wars. You know, and it's like, that's a grievance. You know, if you wanted freaking reparations for that, it's like, you know, 600,000 white boys. Um, but it's like, we don't. We don't have grievance. It's like, yeah, it happened. Now now what? Now what's next? We, we go for next, you know? And this is not a, a, a glorify the union, glorify the Yankees, glorify Lincoln. I think Lincoln was one of the worst presidents ever to have lived. But it is what it is. And so now we're not a victim of it. We learn. We'll be honest about it. But what is the next thing now? And it's not to be a victim of Lincoln not to be a victim of, you know, it's like all, no victimhood, chaps. Um, there's literally no amount of money that will mend that rift. Reparations are just the next step of looting Christendom. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's the whole thing of like, we have to, it's a demand. Reparations are demand making. We have to see that it's a demand making uh, tool. And so what do you do when someone makes a demand on you? You reciprocate and make an equal or greater demand back. So if anyone ever comes, and this is going to get uncomfortable, but it's like if anyone ever comes to you and is like, hey, we demand reparations for what your great-grandparents did to us and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all right, then I'll give you, I'll, I'll, I'll see your reparations and I'll raise you repatriations. You know, so here's, here, you know, this would be a great bill to pass on, on the floor or whatever. I'm like, all right, we will give every single not just black American, any American can take this deal because America is such an oppressive, bigoted, bloody, yes. <laughs> you know? Any any oppressed American may take this deal. I, I call it the Oppressed Reparation Act where we'll pay you. I don't know what the going, the going, uh, what's it like 30 grand a year, 40 grand a year. I don't know what the going welfare rate is. We'll give you, you know, let's be generous, 40 grand. We'll give you 40 grand a year until you die in exchange for you revoking your American citizenship and choosing uh, any country that will take you because it has to be fair on the other countries taking you. You know, so I, I, tons of, of countries will be like, wait, we can get American people to come here and get American money injected into our economy. Like, we'll take you. You know, tons of African countries would love that. Um, but it's like, Pick a country of your choice, go settle there, and we'll pay, you know, sign on the dotted line, you're revoking your citizenship, this is, is your reparations, uh, the rest of your family line are, are done, this is, this is the deal made, uh, and you go, you, you never return to the States ever again. How many would take that deal? I would wager 2%. 
And for all who don't take the deal, consider staying in America, uh, your reparation, your, your, you have like, yep, this is the better, this is the better deal. You know, you could even, you could even warm the deal up where they could have a two month exploratory, uh, uh, take backs, you know, of like, Oh, we went to Liberia. It was a freaking hellhole. I went back in America and then they come back, kiss the ground that they're on. It's like, all right, now you shut up. You know, now you stop watching freaking CNN. You stop being a, obviously this will all never happen. This is just ideological masturbation. I'm just saying like, this is a great thought metric to, to push back with of like anytime anyone brings up reparations, you need to meet them with an equal demand of repatriation. It's like, okay, I'll give you reparations. And they're like, really? It's like, yeah, provided you give me an equal, you, it's, it's a fair trade here that you give me repatriation to your country of, of choice, providing they'll take you. You know, that that changes the dynamic here. We're no longer powerless. It's like you're giving a, an equal pushback and you're making them admit that they don't actually want to leave, that they actually love this place. You know, they just want, uh, they're a victim, so they want other people to pay for their life. And victimhood is how you get status in this clown world uh, hierarchy. And you're in a predominantly european first world or culture and so if you can't if you can't keep up with first world expectations you know it's the easier way is just to drop out and ask for welfare ask for reparations because it's hard to run a business it's hard to compete with freaking you know just absolute machines who are, are going hard it's like no i'd rather <laughs> i'd rather collect a check and that's their mindset but it's like you know we need to start talking about this honestly in the churches and, and calling it to repentance. Um, Rob, America is in a, tr is trapped in a state of Bantu American version of the Dane Geld. Yeah. You know, the Dane Geld was a, uh, correct me if I'm Rob here, uh, if I'm wrong here, Rob, the Dane Geld was in England when the, uh, when the Vikings came over um, and looted the the you know the just the common English folk and the English folk had to pay Danegeld had to pay uh, uh, protection money to not be looted. <clears throat> Drongo about real talk on money etc. It's interesting how many people instead of striving towards honesty whine about free speech and toleration, lacking or avoiding honesty. This becomes a substitute. Yeah, and and why are they why are they uh, worried about not tolerating and not and no free speech and stuff because they realize okay i have to a lot of guys don't want the confrontation of being hated by clown world they don't want the confrontation of you know normies being sent after to, to attack them and stuff again so it's like oh just tolerance guys and tone tone police uh drongo talking honestly about reality carries the additional benefit of revealing who does and doesn't tolerate you free speech becomes just a really gay form of dishonesty it's really good, bro. Jake, Scott, uh, have white South Africans begun to develop in-group preference in the face of current political situation, or are they still liberal for the most part? What do you think will happen here? Here's the deal with, with South Africa, right? The, the rural Afrikaners and the rural English are a totally different culture, a totally different nation to the urban Afrikaners and the urban English. You know, the, the urban English and Afrikaners are just completely as liberal, if not more liberal, uh, than your your classic American liberals, um, but the rural guys have a bit of in group preference. They have community. They have farm, you know, farm community and farm mutual aid and and security and and all of this stuff. <clears throat> the Afrikaners uh, are are gonna make it, you know. They they're gonna make it. the The big problem in South Africa is actually the church. What happened during apartheid is that the church, the liberal church the the predominant driver of liberalism was through the church of of this kind of like apartheid is evil you know diversity is our strength uh you know we are evil punish us that was driven through the church and and through academia you know so that's why the urbanized afrikaners and and, and english became very liberal and so what happened with the church is because they were so outspokenly leading the anti-apartheid charge 30 years on from the end of apartheid and the changeover, now that things are just a hellhole worse than they ever were, uh, you know, I think I think the the amount of murders in South Africa in the 80s, uh, you know, just domestic murders, 
I think it was something like, you correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's something like, you know, 900 a year murders in the, in the whole country. Uh, whereas now it's at like 19,000 per year or something like that. I, I, I stand to be corrected, but it's like, hello, <laughs> what's worse, uh, race-based uh, peace or race-based violence? Which one? Uh, but anyway, the church was so gung-ho that they now, it's like sunken costs. It's like, we have to defend this at all costs. And so the liberal South African church just will not talk about race. It's just Rainbow Nation is their idol. Rainbow Nation was their baby. So they're like, we have to, it's like sunken cost. We slept with the prostitute of liberalism. We gave birth to the baby. Well, at least we're keeping the baby, you know? <laughs> so it's like, it's this crazy love affair for this liberal dystopian hellhole that they created. And they can't admit that they were the ones who basically got South Africa to that, that place. You know, and so that's the huge problem with in-group preference in South Africa is that the, the white liberal church is just just holding death grip, holding on to their bad decision. Yeah, so the big thing here I really want to hit for a lot of guys is, is just taking away the shame of speaking about race. You know, even just like wanting to talk about, you know, in America or South Africa, this whole diverse, you know, diversity, just like the, the biggest thing that you get hit over the head with is like, oh, the church is multi multiracial and, you know, Christ loves everyone. It's like, yeah, he does love everyone. And the church is multiracial. You know, the Bible applies to every nation. You know, the church applies to every nation. But that does not, you know, the church applies to every marriage. The Bible applies to every marriage. That doesn't mean I stop loving my wife. You know, I, I became Christian. I, I believed in the gospel. I made Christ my Lord. And now away with my wife and children, I'm going to love every woman. You know, every woman can come to my house and everyone will be like, I don't know, buddy. I don't know. You know, but like, that's what we do with nation. You know, it's like, oh, I became a Christian. Away with my nation. I love every nation. You know, come live in my house. Come take my inheritance. And it's this crazy, crazy, uh, just midwit, uh, ability to hold the concept of marriage and faith nation and faith you know i'm a man you know they love to use that scripture you know there's now no greek or jew no male or woman no uh slave or free and it's like in christ for the blessings of abraham that's the context right the context is only like jewish male free men were the inheritors of Abraham's blessing, right? Christ comes along is like, sorry, chaps, <laughs> you can be you can be a Gentile woman slave and still be blessed and have the blessings of Abraham and and in Christ be uh, be one with Christ. Like being a Gentile woman slave does not stop you from from receiving salvation, from receiving grace, from receiving the blessings of God. They, we then contextualize this and be like, it means no more uh, race, no more nations, no more gender crap, and no more slave, you know, slavery and stuff. It's like, no, uh, you know, the, the letter of Philemon, or as the Americans say, Philemon, or Philemon, it's like freaking right, Paul, I think, writes to the slave and it's like, no, go back to your slave. Like, don't run away from your slave master. Go back to him. <laughs> go serve him. Go be a slave. It's like, what? That's offensive. You know, same with Joseph. Like Joseph was a slave his whole life. It was like, that's offensive. It's like, yep. Welcome to Christianity, buddy. Yep. <laughs> you know? And so, so they love to use this thing of like no Greek or Jew anymore. No Greek or Jew. It's like, yeah, in the blessings of Christ, in the blessings of Abraham, you know? And so it doesn't mean that I now stop being a man. It doesn't mean that I now stop being a Gentile, uh, uh, an Anglo-Saxon Chad. It doesn't mean that I stop being a free citizen of uh, of the Empire of South Africa is where I'm a free citizen of. Eh. God bless it. Um, so I'm a I'm a Anglo-Saxon man, citizen of South Africa. I don't stop being that when I get saved. This is my hardware. This is my hardware that I run life through. 
I just, I get a new operating system. My new operating system is son of Abraham, inheritor of Abraham's blessings. My new operating system is king who Jesus Christ is king of. These three things now receive that operating system. And so now I'm a, I'm a Anglo-Saxon male South African citizen who, who operates with the operating system of I am blessed. No more grievance. No more victimhood. I am blessed. That's what it means, you know? And so it's like, so many guys are like, I'm ashamed that, you know, it's like, they're like, is it okay for a Japanese guy to be proudly Japanese? Yeah. Is it okay for an Israeli to be proudly Israeli? Yeah. Is it okay for a, a Zulu to be proudly Zulu? Yeah. Is it okay for an American white guy to be proudly American? No. He's lost his salvation. I was like, no, you're just a midwit IQ who thinks he's going to get a pat on the head by the liberal institutions that you're trying to be patted on the head by uh dbg it means equality before the law that's it yeah you know no no greek or jew no male or female no slave or free before the law you know that's a great that's a great thing of like that is what equality is is like do i get a fair shake out of the blessings and do i get a fair shake out of the law and it's like yeah you do welcome to christianity can i stop being a slave it's like if your master permits you if you know pray pray for your master's heart that he would set you free. But don't don't by your own hand go and kill Saul. It's kind of offensive. DBG, pride is racist unless it's rainbow flag pride. <laughs> oh boys, we're taking back the rainbow, Cletus. I, I came up with a great a great uh name if I ever wanted to like really become super American and, and when God gives us children, I'm gonna name my twin boys Grover and Cooter. That's how you know that I've become an American. Alrighty, boys, my studio is getting dark, but I appreciate the ramble. Um, it was a great chat tonight. 